Our Bible reading this morning is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. It's printed in your leaflet, so if you'd like to open up your leaflet, you'll see it there on the left-hand side. Give you a moment to find that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thanks, David. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's been written for us and that it uh, describes in such uh, wonderful ways what you are like and why you're worthy of all praise and um, we pray that this morning um, remind us once again of the Lord Jesus and all that he has done for us. Amen. All right well can you please have the handout open in front of you and uh, you'll see as always a reasonably detailed outline um, along with the passage that David just read from from Ephesians chapter 2. Let me just explain what we're doing over the next three weeks. Uh, the next three weeks I'm going to be preaching our way through Belong. Uh, Belong is our newcomer welcomer course. Um, I thought I'd explain why we're doing this. There's a couple of reasons. Uh, the first is that uh, this time last year, 12 months ago, as I was preparing our preaching program for this year, um, I thought that this would be a timely series for us um, as we prepared to move off-site. Now, I understand, of course, the site redevelopment has been delayed, uh, but it still seems like this is a valuable exercise uh, partly for our 6pm gathering. Um, the 6pm gathering, as you know, is now beginning to reflect on its first year since it relaunched uh, as a merger of 5 and 7 at the start of this year. But it seems to me this is also a good thing for us to reflect on as our AM gatherings are in the process of a significant transition at the start of next year. Uh, so that's one reason. Uh, the second reason why I thought it'd be good for us uh, to work through the Belong course is because ever since we relaunched to Belong last year, it's always felt a bit odd to me that newcomers get to participate, but the rest of the church does not. Uh, and I just didn't want you to miss out, really. Um, can I say, if you've already tended Belong sometime in the last year or so, um, some of this will sound familiar. That's okay. You will do very well at the test that we're going to have in three weeks. No, no, no tests. Um, but um, actually, tests, that'll make you concentrate. Um, so that, that's why we're doing what we're doing. In my mind, actually, it's a great opportunity for us to reflect on why we do what we do um, and to invite a discussion about how we might be better. Uh, my hope and prayer for this series is that everyone would participate fully in the life of our church family, that is not just attend a Sunday service, uh, that everyone would be fully involved members, uh, not passengers, 
who are along for the ride. Now, in case you weren't aware, belong is actually really critical for welcoming newcomers into our church family. Uh, you might be interested to hear that last year, 2022, we had nearly 100 people who came to belong, uh, most of whom now call Trinity their home. Uh, and so far this year, we've had nearly 60 people uh, another, with another course still to run in November. One of the first things that we do at Belong is that we ask everyone to share uh, what brought you to Trinity in the first place? What brought you to Trinity in the first place? And I thought I'd get us to do that at this point. So for a minute, I'm going to ask you just to turn to the person next to you, just to share what's brought you along here in the first place. And after you've done that, I'm just going to ask a few people to call out a few answers so we can hear some of the breadth of responses. Okay, over to you. One minute. What brought you to Trinity in the first place? Okay, thank you. Let me just uh, call us back together. So, from a few people, um, what brought you to Trinity in the first place? I'll just get you to put your hand up in a really loud voice to call it out. A few people? Elaine, a friend invited you. Thank you. Uh, I ran out of local options. You know, it's a city church. You're able to, everyone can reach you from other places. Someone else? God's love and mercy. Thank you, Stephen. One more. What brought you to Trinity in the first place? Uh, the, sign the sign outside. Yeah, it's a great sign, isn't it? Yeah, thank you. Okay. Um, one of the things about church is that church is full of people, and for that reason, over the next three weeks, uh, at the end of each of these talks, um, I've asked Michelle Schultz, one of the pastoral staff here, who oversees Belong. Um, she's going to interview a member of each of our gatherings just to hear a bit about their story and what it means to them to be part of our church family. So something to look forward to each week. Have a look at the top left of your handout uh, and you can see the overview of the series. You'll see this week, the God we belong to, next week, the global mission task force we belong to, and then finally, week three, the church family we belong to. What you'll notice in this series is that uh, the church, this church and what we do here, it's actually the last thing that we'll get to. Uh, and we'll only get there after we've had a chance to marvel at what our God is like and what he is doing throughout his whole world, not just in us. And the reason the course is structured that way is because what I'm trying to say to us is that who we are and how we relate to each other, that is important, but it's secondary. Because actually, this series is going to be much more about what our great God is like. Now, the many things that I could say about him and the God we belong to, you'll see on your handout, I've chosen just two for today. On the left-hand side, firstly, uh, a God who is rich in mercy. I want to talk about how God saves us. And then point two on the right-hand side, a God who speaks to us through his word. That is, I want to talk about how God reveals himself to us. And so here we go then, point one, a God who is rich in mercy. Uh, thanks to David for bringing Ephesians 2 to us, verses 1 through 10. Uh, it's a fantastic passage. In fact, I could preach an entire sermon just on these 10 verses. Um, it's one of my most cherished parts of Scripture because it perfectly sums up the very essence of what we believe. Let me read it again for us. It's in three parts, and so I'll read it and then just make three brief comments. Follow along with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world 
and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in his heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, three brief comments, they're each printed there on your handout. Firstly, what we are all like, verses 1 to 3. Paul starts with a devastating critique of humanity. He says that because of our transgressions and sins, because we've all rejected the God who made us, all of us are deserving of his wrath. And so there's no chance of misunderstanding Paul's metaphor. He speaks about us being dead in our sins. Dead in our sins. And the clear implication is that we cannot save ourselves. Dead people cannot help themselves in any way. And that means that every one of us desperately needs some kind of external intervention if we're to have any hope. Thankfully, second point there on your handout, what God is like seen in what he has done for us. So what Paul does in verses 4 through 7 is that he builds on this image, this image of us being dead in our sins, and he then says, the wonderful news is that God made us alive in Christ, dead in our sins, alive in, our, alive in Christ, even whilst we were dead in transgressions. Paul says that God rescues us. And in answer to the critical question, well, why on earth would God do that? Well, part of the answer is because we needed him to. We couldn't help ourselves. But actually, the reason that Paul gives in this middle paragraph, it's because of his great love for us. Verse 4, his great love for us. And in fact, in this whole middle paragraph, Paul waxes lyrical about what God is like. Look at some of the phrases he uses there. He says that God is rich in mercy. He says that God has great love for us. He says that God shows us the incomparable riches of his grace. And he says that we see God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Do you notice how all of these extravagant descriptions of what God is like, they speak to God's mercy not just his generosity. They speak to God's mercy, not just his generosity. What I mean is this. Generosity is what you show family and friends, whereas mercy is what you grant to your enemies, to those who've offended you and who've hurt you, to those who have absolutely no right or reason to expect your favour, simply they'd need it. 
God's graciousness, His mercy, it's seen in the fact that He he doesn't just raise the dead to life, amazing though that is. Do you notice He has even seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms? He seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. And that points, I think, to something even more spectacular, something that's still in store for us. Because God hasn't just saved us from our sins, He has saved us for something magnificent. What is it? Well, here's the third and final thing that Paul says. How we receive what God has done for us and how we now live, verses 8 through 10. If we were dead in our sins and we needed God to make us alive in Christ, the clear implication is that we are saved by His grace through faith. We cannot be saved on the basis of our works. They are worthless if we are dead in our transgressions. Yet God doesn't just save us from our sins, He has saved us for something magnificent. He saved us with a glorious purpose for our lives. Look at me at verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that thrilling to hear? God has actually prepared good works for us to do. And of course, I'm sure you want to know what those good works are, Before we get there, let me just draw two brief implications, printed at the bottom left of your hand out there. Two implications from us belonging to a God who is rich in mercy. First is this. At our church, you're going to hear a constant call for repentance. At our church, you'll hear a constant call for repentance. Why? Well, it's because of what we are all like. And because of what God is like and has done for us. And because of how we receive his mercy through faith. It means that we are constantly calling people to repent and to turn back to God and to receive his great love for them. What that means, I think, is that our church really ought to be one of the most welcoming communities in the whole world. Because... We understand that everyone is dead and the only way that people can be made alive is in Christ, just as we have been. Or to put it slightly differently, I think our church should be one of the most inclusive and diverse communities in all of society. Because we understand that actually everyone is in exactly the same predicament with the same way out available to anyone who walks through our doors. So at our church, you'll hear a constant call to repentance. Now, you'll see there's a little image there on your handout. Uh, I want to talk about Explore. Uh, This is one of the reasons why we run Explore all the time. Uh, Explore is the four-week course that we run throughout the year. It's an opportunity for people who aren't Christian yet to come along and ask any question or just to listen to what others are interested in. 
Can I say it's not the only way that people can be saved? I understand that. But it's one way that everyone can be given the opportunity to be made alive in Christ. Now, if you're wondering who comes to belong, uh, who comes to explore, well, last year, in 2022, we ran Explore five times. Uh, We had 70 participants, at the end of which, over the course of last year, there were 15 baptisms, uh, 11 of which were in our two commitment Sundays. Uh, This year, so far, we've run five courses. There's one more still to come. Uh, We've had nearly 90 people attend so far. Uh, And so far this year, there have been nine baptisms. Although, as you heard when Elaine prayed, we just prayed for Kirk, who is being baptised about half an hour ago in our Mandarin gathering. Uh, And actually, next Sunday, on Commitment Sunday, there'll be five more people across the day who will be baptised and make declarations of faith. So, because of the God we belong to, who is rich in mercy, it's one of the reasons why you'll hear a constant call for repentance. But the second thing, implication, down the bottom left of your handout, at our church, you will hear a constant exhortation to evangelism. At our church, you'll hear a constant exhortation to evangelism. Now, I know that everyone loves to hear about real-life stories, so I thought I'd tell you one now. It's a story taken, actually, from Mark chapter 5. It's about a man uh, who meets Jesus. Uh, This man's life, actually, I think perfectly illustrates what we've seen in Ephesians 2. Let me tell you about what this man's life was like. Actually, terribly and tragically, he was demon-possessed. He was bound in chains because he was a threat to himself and to others. And as a result, he was forced to live in isolation, in destitution and abject poverty, in the tombs. He was, you might say, quite literally, the living dead. Until one day, he meets Jesus. And with just a simple word, Jesus sets him free. Uh, He casts the demons out and into a herd of some 2,000 pigs who rush off the cliff like lemmings and drown in the sea. What's interesting about this story is that the people of the village are less pleased for the man and more worried about what it might mean for them. Maybe they're upset at the economic loss of the livestock that have drowned. Maybe they're just afraid about what else Jesus could do if he can wield such awesome power. Whatever their reason, they beg Jesus to leave, which he does. I want you just to imagine for a moment, well, just imagine that. My guess is that if I was to conduct a quick poll here and ask, I reckon almost every person here would say they would give almost anything to be able to meet Jesus face to face. And here are these people telling him to go away. There's a sombre warning, I think, actually, that Jesus will never impose himself on anyone against their will. And so he prepares to depart. But as he does, we're reminded of what God is like. God in Jesus is rich in mercy. And it's as if Jesus won't be deterred because as he leaves, he sends the man back to them. 
Maybe his logic is that if they won't listen to Jesus, they might listen to one of their own. Pick it up with you, Mark chapter 5. I've printed just a few verses at the bottom of your handout. Mark 5, verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but said, Go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. I'd like you just to notice how all a man has to do is tell how much the Lord has done for him and how God has had mercy on him. That's all that evangelism is. This man is not required to complete an advanced degree in evangelism or theological apologetics. He just has to get started by telling his story of what God has done for him and how he's shown him mercy. And in fact, did you notice there in verse 20, he does so not just in his own village, he does it in the Decapolis, literally the ten cities nearby. We belong to a God who is rich in mercy. Uh, That's the first point from today. Uh, One of the questions you might have is, well, how can we be so confident that that's what God is like? Isn't it a little bit presumptuous? Well, here's the second thing that I want to say today about the God we belong to. It's on the right-hand side of your handout. We belong to a God who speaks to us through his word. A God who speaks to us through his word. Uh, Two points very briefly, they're both printed there on your handout. Uh, Firstly, the way that God works in his world is through his word. The way that God works in his world is through his word. Look at this great passage from Isaiah 55, verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater... So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The way that God works in his world is through his word. At the same time, the way that God works in us is also through his word. And so you can see there on your handout of 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes... All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Remember back in Ephesians 2, we heard that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do the good works God has prepared in advance for us to do? Well, if you want to know what those good works are, they're found in God's word. Because God speaks to us through his word. Well, a couple of brief implications on the right-hand side of your handout. The first is, and you can see I've written there, for us to be like the Bereans. Now, let me tell you another story. Uh, Once again, it's a story that's from the Bible. Uh, I thought I, I should say, one of the reasons why I don't tell many personal stories from my life Um, is because I'd much rather you remember biblical events, not quirky anecdotes from Jeff. So here's the story. 
The story today is not about an individual. The story is about a whole church. What's happening at this point is that the Apostle Paul is making his way through the Eastern Mediterranean. He is calling people to repentance. He is declaring how much God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And as he does, people become Christians and Paul plants churches in great cities like Philippi and Colossae and Corinth and Ephesus. After he gets chased out of Thessalonica, he lands in Berea. And there we find this amazing description of the Berean converts. Acts 17, verse 11, printed there on your handout. The Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Isn't that extraordinary? They examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. I say it's extraordinary because this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. The Apostle Paul, the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen, the greatest church planter the world has ever seen, the person who ended up writing more of the New Testament than anyone else. And yet still, the Bereans insisted on testing what he said against the Scriptures. Because the way that God works in us is through his word. Why do I say to be like the Bereans then? Well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? If that's how they treated an apostle, how much more must you test anyone in church leadership today? If I can put it slightly differently, the leadership in this church, the pastoral staff in particular, we have failed you if you think you need our teaching to make sense of the Scriptures. We've failed you. Because it's actually the exact reverse. You need a deep knowledge of the Scriptures to make sense of the preaching. I guess if I can up the ante on this, one day, every person here will answer to Jesus for the way in which we have lived our lives. And when he asks, so... Did you do those good works I prepared in advance for you to do? You cannot reply, well, I don't know. I didn't really think about it. I just did what my pastor told me to do. Be like the Bereans, because our God speaks to us through his word. And so, the final comment that I'd like to make about what this looks like for us in practice, you'll see there on your handout. I thought I'd just explain some of our ministry priorities here as a church, just for a couple of minutes. Uh, you'll see each of them listed there. Firstly, personal daily devotions. Personal daily devotions. One of the things that we're always encouraging the members of our church is to have a personal daily devotion, to actually read God's Word for yourself. Can I say that actually this is a relatively recent phenomenon in the history of the church? is actually the result of some wider cultural shifts that have taken place over the last several hundred years. Let me explain. During the Middle Ages, um, in illiterate agrarian societies, the way in which you got to know God's Word better was that, well, what you did was each morning on your way to the fields, 
you would go to the chapel and there'd be morning prayer. And at the end of the day, on your way back home from the fields, you would stop in at the chapel and the whole village would gather together for evening prayer. Of course, with the Industrial Revolution, actually people stopped congregating for work. And at the same time with the Enlightenment, Christians were able to read the Bible for themselves for the first time. Today, of course, every person here has access to their Bible on their phones, if nowhere else, in their heart language and in their mother tongue. So if we're convinced that God speaks to us through his word, we're constantly encouraging you to have a personal daily devotion that he might speak to you. Uh, second implication there on your handout, I've, I said expository preaching in Sunday gatherings. Now, if you're wondering what that means, um, that's just basically saying that as a church, when it comes to the Sunday preaching, uh, we, our general rule is just to work our way through books of the Bible from start to finish. Um, it's not to preach topically from week to week. Now, I get the irony, I'm doing a topical series at the moment, so that's okay. Um, but the vast majority of our preaching is just open at the start of a book of the Bible and go through chapter and verse. So if you think about this year, uh, we've made our way through 1 Thessalonians and just recently 2 Thessalonians. We made our way through the first half of John's Gospel, the Book of Signs. Uh, we've been through Exodus and Ruth. Uh, the reason we do that is because actually uh, we're convinced that the best way to help you understand the Scriptures is for us just to show what it means to read it from start to finish. Uh, third application there on your handout, growth groups that gather around God's Word growth groups that gather around God's Word. Um, one of the complications of being in such a big church as ours is that it, it can be hard to get to know people well. That's why we run growth groups uh, at different times throughout the week. Now, we've explicitly chosen to call them s growth groups, not small groups, uh, because um, actually calling it a small group doesn't describe its purpose. Its purpose is to help each one of us grow as we make sense of God's Word together, as we try and apply God's Word to the specifics of our lives. Uh, to state the obvious, it is impossible for me, in a 30-minute monologue on a Sunday, to do tailored application for 200 people. The ways in which we do that is in our growth groups. And the final thing that I want to say is that, um, well, as you heard this morning, already uh, with the all-age time, we're always encouraging people uh, with memory verses. Memory verses because things that you've committed to memory, they're like tools that will help you to instinctively recall God's Word when your situation or circumstances can be very, very difficult. At times when it's hard to understand what God is doing in His world, what He's doing in us, to have Scripture come to mind... That's how we make sense of it. So, for example, from Ephesians 2, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Or from Romans 8, did you know there is nothing in all creation, neither height nor depth, neither angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or from Matthew chapter 6, 
as we prayed earlier today, our Heavenly Father's will will be done, His kingdom will come, and His name will be hallowed throughout all the earth. Well, of the very many things I could have said about the God we belong to, today I've tried to focus on just two. We belong to a God who is rich in mercy, and we belong to a God who speaks to us through His Word. Next, we will all get to see uh, what we're going to reflect on is what God is doing throughout His whole world, not just amongst us here at Holy Trinity. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for all that You've done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You that You're a God who is so rich in mercy and that in Your kindness You speak to us about those good works You've prepared in advance for us to do. We give You all praise and honour and we ask that in this week ahead you might enable us to know how wide and long and high and deep is your love for us. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.